First John chapter 4, so we're in the fourth chapter. Um, and uh, so we're going to be reading only the first six verses um, this afternoon. And First um, John's kind of a short, uh, sh- a short epistle anyway. I'm not sure that I will go on to the next one or if I'll take a different study for us to go into. I haven't really decided yet. We've been in the John epistles and gospels now for quite a long time and might give you a break and take something else. Uh, so we'll see. But anyway, here we are in First John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist of which ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. By this know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we give many thanks and praise unto you, Lord, knowing that you are our true God and Savior, and Jesus Christ, our only true sacrifice for sin. And we thank you, Father, that we can call upon you even at this very moment and offer our praise and our adoration, our worship unto you, Lord, as we come together, and that we might read the word of God which you have given to us, and we might hear by the Spirit of God and discern by the same Spirit those things concerning Christ and of his great uh, price and purchase of our redemption. We praise you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, come to these few short verses, we find that the subject matter is one which, of course, we have heard before concerning false teachers. But as we uh, realize that John uh, was uh, writing to these Christians in the first century, we know that uh, there were many reasons why he would... uh, bring such a message to them because of the infancy of the church being such that it was and the need for vigilance in the teaching of the word of God to maintain um, a true biblical um, church was needed. You know, that is one of the important concerns of believers when they come to a church. They want to know 
whether or not it is a true biblical, Bible-believing church. Perhaps it used to be uh, a little bit more taken for granted than maybe today, Whereas, wherein so many churches are of different persuasions. And as we come to uh, realize uh, if people moving from one location to another, uh, how is there going to be any uh, assurance that the pastor is uh, preaching by the same spirit that uh, uh, the apostles would want? That is, that they would be careful to make sure that they were, that they were speaking the true word of God. And, um, well, just in my short time in ministry, I'm sure that uh, there's been a number of people who have called up on occasion and said something to the effect, um, what Bible do you use, or what are your doctrines in your church, or... Um, they want to have some assurance that you are preaching and teaching from the Word of God and that what you're saying is biblical and Christological, that is Christ-centered. And so um, these subjects that we talk about many times, uh, they come up quite frequently in the Scripture, and they are subjects which... Um, we should remember are very important to the work of the ministry. For we find that as pastors come and go in churches, it is left to the congregation many times to make sure that the person that they are getting is one who will teach the true word of God to them. The Christological doctrine of Christ, Christ-centered doctrine. So we're going to be looking at these three areas this afternoon. Christians are to try the spirit of a teacher who claims to speak for God. Um, so we find that it's necessary, the idea of trying is to make sure to test. Um, sometimes churches will, of course, um, have um, councils, you know, they'll have a deacon board or an elder board to ensure that uh, the person that they are calling as a pastor is going to be um, truly a Bible-teaching pastor, one who is uh, teaching the true doctrines of Christ. But in some cases... Uh, uh, churches being small and uh, not having too many members, sometimes that um, buffer there of someone to, to uh, try uh, or test the spirit, as it were, to see if they are truly Christ-centered uh, isn't always there. Sometimes it falls to um, one or two people in the congregation who are knowledgeable and able to discern, and so able also to tell whether or not someone is truly um, Christ-centered in their teaching. And so, especially in New England, because New England's churches are somehow infected from time to time, 
some of them, uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging to women by saying this, but sometimes they are overrun by women who run churches and are not very knowledgeable in the Bible. And uh, even though perhaps the, many of the women are saved, um, they may be easily um, convinced uh, and uh, not be as uh, careful as um, a person, a man who is well taught in the scriptures and is, uh, has, has the authority perhaps of eldership or, or something of that nature. So um, there are many Unitarian churches in New England. Unitarian meaning that um, they really don't have any hard and fast doctrine at all, but rather have a very liberal and a very, uh, a very unifying approach to receive anybody and everybody into their congregation. And so they look for pastors who um, more or less what we are being warned about here in this particular text um, because they don't want a strict scriptural viewpoint uh, from the Word of God. Uh, so uh, New England is, um, they used to say when I was uh, going to college in, in Florida that um, the South was um, a mile wide and an inch deep in doctrine. Their, their, their doctrine was a mile wide and an inch deep. Now it's not very deep, is it? But in New England, it was an inch wide and a mile deep. <laughs> the doctrine in New England. Much more strict. Um, but even so, you, New England is known for Unitarianism. Very liberal, uni, Unitarian. This doesn't count uh, the various kind of fanatical type beliefs and, and um, people that you find around, such as United Pentecostal who don't believe in the Trinity, or Jehovah Witnesses who don't believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, and the Mormons who hold to a variety of different teachings of Joseph Smith. Uh, to say nothing about the United Methodist Church, which can be varied in its doctrinal belief and, um, and liberalism. Church of Christ and, you know, all of this, it goes on and on, um, the kinds of various uh, groups that are around. And not even Baptists can be counted on as being conservative all of the time. Uh, so there has to, there's a great deal of scrutiny that must be given to watching out for uh, those who would teach false teaching. And so Christians are to try the spirit of a teacher who claims to speak for God. Now, uh, sometimes pastors get a little thin-skinned here. And what I mean is sometimes pastors don't like to be questioned on their doctrine because they're, they're somehow offended that somebody is going to say something to them. Um, when I was in Standish, I did try to talk to one of the pastors 
um, locally to our church in Standish, and he immediately became offended that I would ask him anything, which is a, a, a complete um, um, failure on his part to recognize the need to question. And, of course, it would be a dead giveaway that he probably held some strange view and didn't want to account for it. Um, so you, you find all, all kinds of extremes from one side to the other. But as Christians, we do have a responsibility to ask questions and to see what people believe and why they believe what they believe. And uh, so he begins by uh, talking about that here. The second one here, Christians are to know the doctrine of Christ and confirm that their teachers are Christological. Now, see, this one particularly falls into the category of if you don't have somebody in the congregation whom you can trust and realize is going to scrutinize uh, the person who is speaking, then it falls to the congregation to somehow be... Um, weary of who might be speaking and what they might be teaching. Uh, therefore, for instance, so you shouldn't ask just anybody to teach your Sunday school class because uh, it's these little children, of course, believe whatever the teacher tells them. And if, some, if the teacher is not teaching adequately, then you, there's a problem. Or if, a, say, a special speaker is required uh, to come, you'd want to make sure that the special speaker is going to speak on um, a subject that is Christ-centered and knowing that they truly do believe that Christ is the incarnate Son of God. He is, he is the Son of God and that he came to die for our sins according to the scriptures. He was resurrected and came and died for our sins. So um, there's a number of different uh, reasons here for this. So Christians are to know the doctrine of Christ. That means you. You are to know the doctrine of Christ in the, in the very basic sense. You know, sometimes Christians will say, oh, I don't know everything in the Bible. I'm so, I, I, I just don't know everything. What, do I'm going, what am I going to... You don't have to know everything. All you have to do is know some basic, important, biblical and, and fundamental truths about Christ. Who is Christ? Who is he? Well, he's the Son of God. How did he come into the world? He came into the world because God sent him into the world, born of a virgin. He is the incarnate Son of God. He did not come into the world because Mary was without sin. Mary was with sin. She was as sinful as anybody. It's just that God chose her to bear the Christ child because he would come of the line of David. And so he would, it would be in the fulfillment of Scripture that, sh that she would bear Jesus. Not because she would name so, but because she fell in the line. And Jesus would have to come through the Davidic line. So you know, there's just some basic, important, biblical truths about Christ that people need to know as Christians. That Jesus did die for our sins, according to the Scriptures, because he is the Son of God. 
and that God meant for him to die for our sins and that he was buried and that he did rise again on the third day and that all this was verified through the scriptures itself and gives testimony to it in the scriptures. Now see, these are the kinds of things that you do need to know. Uh, Who Ezekiel's brother was, you don't need to know. Uh, Who's Adam's third cousin was, you don't need to know. Uh, You know, there are some things in Scripture you just don't need to know. I mean, it might be interesting to know who Noah's uncle was, but let's face it, that that isn't necessary. But things about Christ are necessary. Um, It's not to say that some of these unique Bible truths aren't interesting and uh, important in their own right and in the sense of genealogy and so forth. It all bears some significance. But things that we need to know about Christ and who he was and why he came and the divinity of Christ is important and those are the things we do need to know. And you need to know them as, as Christians. Christians have a confirmation of the Spirit of God by His Word. Now see, this one is very important. And it goes to the second one. Because you, are, you know something about Christ and the fundamental truths about Him, then when you get to verse the number 3, you realize these things are confirmed by the Spirit of God. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. And how is the the Holy Spirit received through the Word of God? The Holy Spirit is confirmed upon our hearts through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we would not have faith at all except it be by the Spirit of God. Even faith is, is not of us, it is of God. And so it is important that we take some particular recognition of this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Well, even in the first century, you see, uh, there was a need. Here it is, first century, 95 years after the death of Christ. um, These things are being said. That is, John needed to say them because many were going around teaching various truths that were not true concerning about Christ. Some believe that, uh, well, Jesus was just a human being and uh, the Spirit of God came upon him at the baptism and that's when he became more divine. But then when he died, he was just like any other person. You know, they, there was a lot of, of different beliefs that were floating around. You know, the Jews themselves, many of them wanted to mix the law in with grace. Now that is a big, was a big failure in itself. So you see, uh, even in the first century, there were, there were these uh, strange and, and um, n- not so biblical doctrines that were being taught. And uh, to, you know, just to look at the person and to, uh, and to, and to allow them to say something, um, one doesn't necessarily know. Um, one particular Sunday when we was in, very young in our faith, 
um, right after we recently came to the Lord, not too many years, maybe a couple or three years, uh, there was a speaker that came to the church where we were going at the time, and, and he preached out of the daily bread. Well, I suppose that would have been a good shortcut to saying something if he didn't have any preparation at all. But, you know, any pastor shouldn't be preaching out of the daily bread. Even though there might be some good thought there. I mean, you might use the daily bread for an example, and, and, and it's like any other literature, you might use it to reinforce something you're saying. But you don't preach from it, you preach from the Bible. And it showed a lack on his part that he wasn't prepared. And immediately, you know, they dismissed him because they wouldn't consider him just because he wasn't prepared when he came to, to speak, which is a good thing. You don't want somebody that much of a novice that they can't even bring a message from the Bible. They've got to use some devotional literature to, to do it, fill the time. So it is necessary um, to, to be able to test the spirits. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets. Um, and even Jesus in his day, of course, um, made mention that there were false teachers and it's, well, the Pharisees were false teachers. They were teaching falsely. They didn't even know who Christ was. <laughs> and so they weren't exactly on the ball when it came to uh, their doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of, of the anointed one in the Old Testament. They weren't on the ball. They were completely um, ignorant of who Christ was. And so they were teaching falsely. And, of course, Jesus did refer to them in a number of ways uh, to indicate that they were like leaven and they were, um, practically speaking, they were, they were not true biblical teachers because they didn't even know their own scriptures. Even when Nicodemus came to Christ, uh, Jesus kind of chided Nicodemus because he didn't know as he ought to have known. He was curious enough to come and to meet with Jesus and talk to Jesus and, and to recognize that Jesus was more than the other teachers that he had seen. Um, but he had some deficiency when he was questioned. So we find that uh, we are to test the spirit. And the idea of spirit here, of course, has to do with a person speaking with a certain amount of authority and supposedly speaking for God and are they speaking from their own self or are they speaking by the word of God you see there's a difference and so every um, every spirit we are to test every spirit um, this, whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They are pseudo-prophets, as I put in the title here, guard against pseudo-prophets, false prophets. Um, and uh, it's necessary today to do so. 
and as I've said before, uh, every church is just one pastor away, perhaps, from liberalism. Because, you know, the pastor you have today may be, may be very conservative, may be very biblical, may be very Christ-centered, but if you get the wrong person in, then it can be something else very quick. Because uh, everything that will be spoken and with authority will come from that pulpit, and uh, unless that person has been properly questioned and tested, uh, you could end up with a very liberal pastor in the pulpit teaching something that um, would cause the congregation to probably uh, split, to separate from the church. And so we find that it's necessary to, to do this. Um, false teachers, he says, are gone out into the world. There are many in the world today. And this was first century, and if it was true in the first century, what about uh, 2,000 plus years since? <laughs> You know, there, there are many false teachers today. Secondly, look at verse 2. By this know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, there are two things that he mentions here. First, that uh, we must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Must confess that. And of course this is going to the doctrine of the incarnation. Um, that must be confessed. And so that would be a very important question to ask uh, the speaker. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he is the incarnate Son of God? And of course the, the doctrine of virgin birth has been uh, under attack for many, many years and still is under attack even today. Um, something as basic as the virgin birth. Um, you know, I, was, I put the little nativity scene down there and I thought, well, I'll, probably I should take it up. I'm not. I'm going to leave it. Every time you go by it, it says that we believe in the virgin birth. And... You know, I think that's important to say those things. We believe in the virgin birth. You know, some, some communities get all upset if you put a nativity out. They don't like that. Because you are identifying in a particular doctrinal way that Jesus is the Son of God. And there is only one Son of God. It doesn't say that there are two or three or more. No, there is only one Son of God and he is identified in the Word of God. Um, so that's important, isn't it? Uh, that we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, uh, Jesus Christ, Savior, the anointed Savior, has come in the flesh. He has come in the flesh. He is the Son of God. And so um, this, uh, this particular doctrine is one which is so basic to our understanding of what we should believe and how we should mark out those who, who speak for God. 
secondly here, Christians are to know the doctrine of Christ and confirm that their teachings are Christological. And so the second part of that test in verse 3, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist of which ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. And so we not only acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, we have to confess it. If you can't get a pastor to confess and say that he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he believes in the Incarnation. He, you know, there are pastors who will say, oh, I believe that, I believe that Jesus Christ is a real person. They'll say, oh, I believe that he is a historical figure. I believe he was a good person. I believe he was a moral teacher. You know, they will ascribe certain good qualities to Jesus. But to confess that he is the Son of God, to, to admit it, to uh, acknowledge it, and to stand on the ground of it, no matter who comes down the pike, to stand on the ground of it, no matter who questions them. What if there was somebody in the congregation who began to question your pastor? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And he says, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And they say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. If you don't change your opinion, I'm going to leave. You see, it can work in that direction just as well as it can in the other direction. It can work from the congregational viewpoint to the pastor if they don't happen to like what he stands for, as well as it can work in the other direction, the congregation questioning the pastor and saying, do you stand for this truth or don't you? And of course, if he doesn't stand for it, then he shouldn't be there. No matter how good a person he might be, he shouldn't be there. And the congregation shouldn't stand for him being there. I mean, they should, they should just realize that, you know, they need somebody who is truly biblical and Christ-centered. And so, to, uh, as Christians, uh, we, we, uh, the responsibility falls upon what John is writing to people. He is saying to them, you need to watch this particular uh, doctrine. You need to, don't believe every spirit. Um, you know, sometimes congregations can be very gullible and, and just accept somebody on the basis of, of he's young, he's, he's uh, talented, uh, he's a good speaker, um, he, he can stand on his head and spit quarters. Or, you know, they, they'll come up with all kinds of reasons why they like the guy, except asking the right question. And maybe he isn't so handsome. Maybe he can stand on his head. And, and maybe he isn't uh, uh, so affable. But if he does believe the word of God and is faithful in teaching and preaching the scriptures as he ought to, then the congregation should consider that person for his worth. Not based upon outward appearances. There are some people who, you know, they, 
Oh, I know when I was going to Bible college, you know, a bunch of us young pastors in a room similar to this, and we all had our opportunity to get up and talk and to present some, some message. And, and Bob Weckl gets up and, and he acts like the class clown, and, uh, and he, uh, but he was a good teacher. <laughs> he was somewhat of an oddball. <laughs> But the Lord called him into the ministry, and as far as I know, he's still preaching. <laughs> we shouldn't judge people just simply because they don't, they don't fit our particular um, you know, quality of someone. And, and too, too, many, too often, you know, congregations will do that. They will do that. They'll sometimes pick a person just on the basis of appearances and and not go much deeper, just because uh, you know he's liked. You can't go on like. You have to go on true quality of the person's um, biblical understanding and knowledge and teaching, and that's what you have to go on. And whether or not they confess that Jesus is the Son of God and will own up to it. Uh, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children. Now the ye there is emphatic. I mean, you know, it is talking to the very people that John is writing to. Ye are of God, little children. We, uh, those who are of God ought to be able to discern between the right and the left, between what is, what is good and what is not good, what is true doctrine and what isn't. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now the them is emphatic too. Who is the them? Probably the, those false teachers, right? Those false teachers. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now see, here is the discerning part. Um, Christians have confirmation of the Spirit of God by his word. The Spirit of God is able to confirm. Now, you, you know, on, everybody deserves a hearing. Everybody deserves a hearing. You know, we can't make a snap judgment. We have to talk. You have to be able to talk to a person to find out what they really believe and and to give some time for discernment about the matter. But sometimes, you know, churches would, oh, they want to call a pastor so bad, they'll have three or four people coming at the same time, and, and um, if they happen to have that many candidates. But even two too many is than one. It's better to have one at a time, not two at a time. You're not supposed to be comparing people. Well, this one's got a better suit than that one does. You know, you're not supposed to do that. It, you know, so we're supposed to be discerning by the Spirit of God, not by the Spirit of man. And so it was, there's always a need to be discerning when it comes to people, especially those who are teaching the Word of God. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the pseudo, uh, the pseudo prophets those who would be teachers but are false teachers, he says. Uh, John's given them the credit, so why, why is he writing at all? 
because it's always necessary to stand and to guard against this particular problem. It's always necessary. <clears throat> because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, the next one is they. They are of the world. Obviously, that is the pseudo-prophets. They are of the world. Therefore, speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Well, see, here is another kind of a litmus test. A congregation that is liberal, and the congregation doesn't, doesn't say anything about the pastor who is liberal. Why don't they say anything? But probably nine times out of ten, the whole congregation is liberal. That's why they are agreeing with that person... It's not, uh, you know, you look at a church that's packed out every Sunday and they got all kinds of cars and they got all kinds of finances and they're doing all kinds of things and you want, why? Here you are, a little church in the corner and you're having all you can do to make ends meet maybe and, and a small congregation and, and people don't flock to the door and you say, oh, we're doing something wrong. Maybe not. Maybe it's they are doing something wrong. That's why the world has gone after them. You see. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. You see, uh, somebody who is not discerning will swallow hook, line, and sinker what the pseudo-prophet or the false prophet has to say because they are both of the world. He's of the world, they're of the world, and he's talking up a good storm. Well, let's start a food pantry. We can do a lot of good. Well, that, that's possible. You can do some good for a food pantry. won't save many people by it unless you save them from hunger. Why don't we have a clothing barn? Well, that's good, that's good. You can keep people from running around without any clothes on. That's a good thing. We don't want any streakers in town. But see, when it comes to the Bible teaching, when it comes to the uh, preaching salvation by Jesus Christ and the precious blood of Jesus, they're deficient. They want, to, they want to save everybody's appetite, and they want to keep them warm, but they don't want them, they, they don't give them the message of salvation. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. And then we, see, because we, it goes back to um, a plural sense, but probably it's talking about himself, John, as well as the believers. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. By this know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this is how you know truth from error. Whether or not they hear what you have to say. If they will not hear what you have to say and you are teaching the true Christological doctrines of Christ, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross because he came to suffer as the full and complete 
uh, expiation, the sacrifice for sin, atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that he did become victorious over sin and death and was resurrected on the third day. You know, sometimes, you know, congregations will say, oh, that's too boring, I don't want to hear that again and again and again. Tell me a story, a nice little story. And pastors will come up with nice little stories because their congregations are leaving them. And why are they leaving them? Because they don't want to hear the word of God and probably are not even saved. And they will not be saved unless they hear the word of God unless the Spirit of God uh, truly does touch their hearts and redeem them. As, a, as pastors, you know, if you want to if you, if you be successful, you, you have to go to the big church, right? But not necessarily. You can be just as successful in a small church. If you're faithful in teaching the word of God and, and preaching what the scriptures have to say and be truthful to the word of God. And uh, so success uh, in the scriptures, it does not based upon how the world looks at it, but how God would have us to teach and minister the scriptures. Christians have confirmation of the Spirit of God by His Word. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. So those who know God will hear the, 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 the pastor teaching the truth of, about Jesus Christ. He that is not of God heareth not us. If they will not hear the pastor's words... They are not of God, and they will leave. Sometimes the best revivals are called backdoor revivals. You know, it always makes pastors a little bit up, upset, you know, when, when people leave the church. But it's usually because they are so liberal-minded that they cannot endure sound doctrine. And so they'll leave Oh, my children don't have the right kind of teaching here. We want something more for them. What a lame excuse. You know, what a lame excuse. You mean your children want to hear about uh, the birth of Christ and the virgin birth and that Jesus is the Son of God and He died for your sins and that when Jesus died for your sins, He also was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and He was... He ascended to the right. Do, you, do they want to hear that? Oh no, they, they want a youth group where they can eat pizza and, and go out on Friday nights and have a good time. But they don't really want to hear what you just said. And so what do they do? They leave. Because they've got to find a church that will give them pizza instead of Christ. And how many times you heard that one? Well, I've heard it quite a few times. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. By this know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, the, the parents who should be 
um, knowing the truth of the word of God cave in to the spirit of the world. That's why they want to leave. Even though the parent might know the truth, they leave because they cave in to the spirit of the world. And uh, they don't have backbone enough to make sure that their children hear the right teaching. That's what's really going on. So it is important to guard against these uh, false teachers. It's important that we do guard against them. And unfortunately, you know, um, we don't have any crystal ball, as it were, as the saying goes, to somehow bring people in apart from the one thing that God has given us, and that is the gospel, which is the true biblical way of bringing people to Christ, is the gospel. You see, that's the true biblical way. But, uh, you know, as, as we all know, that in the last times, um, there would be many seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And many will be drawn away from the truth. But we still need to be faithful to the truth. Guard against these false prophets. Be, know yourself what the, the truth is. So wherever you are, in whatever congregation you might be in, you will be able to recognize whether it's being taught and whether it's being stood for the way that it should be. And then you will be able to assure yourself. And see, that is another reason why churches should maintain um, Bible-believing Christians in their congregation. If we don't have Bible-believing Christians in our congregation, if you don't have a saved membership, you can't have the assurance in the congregation that this is going to come, come, have the right outcome. You have to have that Bible-believing uh, membership in the congregation. Because if it gets too infected with liberalism in the congregation, um, the pastor won't be able to stand very long. You know, he'll be able to say what he needs to say, but sooner or later, he'll get, he'll get booted out because there'll be too many liberals and he won't be able to stand against them. So it's important to keep a saved church membership. That's one of the biblical distinctives of Baptist churches, to have a saved church membership. And this is one of the reasons why as well that, that Baptist churches baptize their converts. Because it gives them an opportunity to, to uh, examine their belief, and then after they examine their belief, they will require them to be baptized because they want to be assured that they have a conviction that their beliefs are real. And so they identify with Christ and who Christ is. And who is Christ? He is the Christological one at the very center of our teaching. You see. Beware of false teachers. Shall we pray? Loving Father, 
We give thanks to you for the blessings you give. Help us, Lord, to remain firm and true to the word of God and to those things that require a discernment among our people and in and among the pastors who are responsible to teach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.